I'm Ariane Alfont, and this is Death the Podcast. Death may be defined as the destruction or permanent end of something. At Death the Podcast, we are looking closely at what happens when something ends. We listen, learn about, and discuss the stories that surround the subject of death. These stories bring up much more than feelings of fear and sadness. They offer opportunities for connection, for hope, and sometimes even for humor. Ultimately, if we are open to exploring death, we create greater potential to experience life. Paul David considers himself a very lucky man. On July 1st, 2008, he kissed his wife goodbye, jumped on his bicycle, and headed for work. One week later, Paul woke up in the neurological ICU of a local trauma center with half of his head missing and absolutely no memory of how he got there. In a matter of days, Paul went from running marathons and earning a living with his brain to needing round-the-clock assistance with the most basic of functions. Here today to talk with us about his journey from the brink of death and the insights he gathered along the way is Paul David. Welcome, Paul. Thank you. Good to be here. A bike ride to work turned into a life-altering experience for you. What happened on your way to work that day? Well, what I remember is is kind of what you said. Um, you know, we had we had just gotten back from a family vacation, um, you know, and so the kids were were sleeping in, and I had the idea that I was going to get to work kind of early and get some things done. And it was a beautiful, warm summer morning, so I hopped on the bike. The last thing that I remember really is is stopping to pick up some coffee on the way and picking up my New York Times to do the crossword puzzle. And um, remember waving goodbye uh, to the to the young woman who'd given me my coffee, and um, and that's all I remember. You know, um, what happened next was uh, was basically this. I was about a mile down the road uh, when a guy driving a Ford F one fifty truck uh, he was lost. He was late for a job interview. Well, he turned right in front of me. And uh, I hit his rear panel and rolled under the truck. And, um, and that's, uh, that's, that's kind of what happened. And, um, you know, lots of broken bones, um, you know, upper, lower jaw, uh, orbitals around the eye, uh, skull fracture, shoulder blade, collarbone, ribs, collapsed lung. But the, uh, the serious, most serious of that was the traumatic brain injury. Uh, they noticed or they detected that my brain was bleeding uh, badly enough to ultimately bleed out the uh, left optic nerve. Um, I, I no longer see out of my left eye. Well, when they saw the brain bleed, uh, the doctors uh, performed a procedure called a decompressive craniotomy. It's designed to, they remove a section of the skull to permit the brain room to swell and then heal. Um, then they put me in an, into an induced coma so that the healing could begin. Um, the way that I think of this is, you know, I was asleep for the really scary time, you know. And for that first week, um, you know, my family and, uh, and my friends uh, gathered in the ICU. And, you know, the doctors really didn't, didn't know much, you know, in the, in the early stages. Uh, it's really difficult to tell when the when the patient isn't super responsive. Um, what I remember is um, about a week later, uh, feeling like I was coming out of a dream. And I remember 
turning to my left and um, seeing my father sitting in a chair next to me. Uh, he was smiling, but I had no idea really why. Um, and later that day, my wife and kids came to visit. And when that happened, my younger daughter told me a joke that we'd shared since the kids were really small. It's a really silly one, and it, it really never fails to make me smile, <laughs> mostly due to the memory. And so I did. Well, with the smile, uh, that's when my wife told me she knew that I'd be okay. You know, obviously, the concern with a brain injury is you don't know always whether the person who wakes up is going to be, you know, the person that you knew before. Mm -hmm. They didn't know how. They didn't know how long. They didn't know, you know, what was really ahead. But that's when Chris knew that uh, things would be okay. Because she, she knew you remembered. Um, yep. So I have to ask what the joke is. <laughs> um, a duck walks into a store and says, give me some chapstick and put it on my bill. <laughs> I told you it was silly. Love but it. but it's funny. <laughs> Love it. And, and this was just kind of, you know, when the kids were really small, this was kind of our go-to. And, um, you know, although I didn't know it at the time, that was, that was really... Uh, that was really Chris's effort and, and probably the kids too, to, you know, to, to come back to come back to familiar ground. Mm -hmm. So you, you wake up and you, it's clear you have recognition of the past and um, of the joke and your family. And what what happened from there? I, from reading your blog, learned that you were quite a self-sufficient, independent, go-getter person. And I imagine after an injury like this that, that none of those things were particularly possible. No, I, you know, so um, they told me what had happened. And, and uh, uh, Chris tells me that my response was rather colorful. Uh, I don't I don't specifically remember that. Um, but, you know, just to draw the contrast, um, you know, I had run, I'd run three marathons in the preceding uh, two months, you know, and, and just probably three days before the accident, I'd run a, a 30K race in a state park over by our house. You know, running is something that I do for, you know, the meditative quality and, um, and, uh, and for the challenge and for the social aspect. It's a, it's a way for me to feel connected. I was, you know, I pride myself on being a very uh, active and engaged parent uh, with my daughters. And, um, you know, not having that was, was a really difficult thing. And not really knowing how we were going to get back to that was, was very hard. You know, the thing about uh, traumatic brain injuries, TBIs, is that there's no straight path back to back to good it sounds like you had an awareness of knowing that the path was not going to be really clear to to getting well right after the accident the um the doctors and nurses took my family aside because they were there all the time my brother dropped everything he flew up to seattle from san francisco where he lives and they were there and they were there with me all the time and Doctors and nurses took them aside and they said, you know, this is going to be a marathon, not going to be a sprint. 
this, we're in for a long haul here. And you really need to take care of yourselves because it's not going to get easier. And in fact, that was, that was very prescient because, you know, fast forwarding a month, my first month at home was really, really difficult. You know, uh, my wife was on all the time, really. Um, you know, so what they did was they put together a sign-up sheet to have somebody with me at all times. My, my Chris felt very strong that she wanted a medical advocate for me there. Now, we had excellent medical care at Harborview. I bless them. Um, but having somebody there made her feel better. And knowing that she couldn't do it or that my parents couldn't do it or my brother alone, um, we had an incredible, incredible amount of support from communities that we were involved in. Um, you know, the kids' school, um, church, our local running club, um, you know, family, uh, other friends, you know, they, they helped with all sorts of things. They'd sit with me. They'd help the kids get places they needed to get to keep things as normal as possible for them. Um, you know, a, a friend of mine videotaped a play that my girls were in when, when I was still, when I was still in the coma, just so I could see it later. And, you know, the thing the thing that really resonated with me in the moment, because, you know, you're, you're scared of all kinds of things is, is the patient. Um, but when you have that degree of support, that degree of, of love present in your life, you know, basically these, these folks are, are giving me the powerful gift of hope. It's, it's, you know, you don't, you don't give up when you, when you have hope, do you? Did you know before your accident that you had that degree of love and support? Uh, well, you know, we're, we're blessed to have, you know, be involved in a number of really, really wonderful communities. But, but no, I mean, there's no way that you can really realize what it means. Um, you know, there, there, well, I, I'll, okay, I'll use first person here. <laughs> I I didn't really understand what all of this really meant um, until we until we faced this. Um, you know, it's you know, in that sense, I've been given such a rare gift to have you know have glimpsed into what this is, what it means, and and um, and to develop a, a deep sense of appreciation about it. I'm curious as a father and a husband what you learned about your marriage and what you learned about your kids oh my um i'll start i'll start with with my marriage with my wife you know uh i i had the gift of seeing what true uh devotion dedication really is um you know, there are really very few words that I can use to adequately describe that. Imagine, you know, here your, you know, your your husband is, um, you know, he's missing half of his half of his skull bone, and uh, you know, and when he gets up and he walks around, when he's able to get up and walk around, he has to wear this kayak helmet <laughs> because the fear is, you know, if you take a fall and you got no bone there to protect protect yourself, things can things can get really bad. 
you know, and so if I'd get up in the middle of the night, Chris would spring up right out of bed to make sure that I had my helmet on. Um, she would always ask the doctors, you know, the hard questions that, you know, she would really, really drive for, for clarity and closure. Um, you know, when, uh, when, you know, because I, we had so much going on with, with my body, you know, we had all of these broken bones and, and, and nerve damage and, um, you know, and, and also, you know, nutritional things because there are all these medications. And so she and, and my mom, uh, really made it, uh, a research, you know, this, this concerted research effort to find the right doctors, you know, that's something, that's something that, you know, I can't, I can't imagine what it would have been like not to have that degree of uh, dedication and devotion. You know, for my kids, you know, I, uh, the way that I think about it, the nicest thing I think that anybody's ever called me is dad. Um, you know, I hadn't, I, you know, it was, it was this part of our lives, the central part of our lives. But, you know, when I felt like I couldn't be as involved or, you know, when I, when I started to recognize how hard this was for the kids, you know, they, they, they experienced something that, that I never did. I never experienced, um, the, uh, the fear of loss that they experienced. Um, you know, they, I, I looked very different, you know, somebody looks pretty different when, when they don't have, when they're missing part of their skull and it's, it's, it's really not pretty. And they dealt with that. And, you know, and they loved me unconditionally. And, um, you know, the, the real driving force for me during recovery was getting back to being an active and, and very involved parent. Seems like there was a grief process in all of this for you where you were also able to tap into what was, what was so positive in your life that that gave you a, a kind of fuel Yes. Yeah, very much so. Um, really interesting conversation uh, that I had with a counselor. And this, this would have been about five months after the accident. Um, you know, I had health wise, I turned the corner and I was I was I was feeling much better. Um, and I was able I was up and around. I was I was kind of doing my, more of my own things. I was thinking about uh, when I would get back to work. Um, and conversation with the counselor is, so things sound like they're going pretty well. How's your family? And, you know, stiff upper lip at the time me was, well, you know, oh, so wife's doing this, the kid's doing this. And, and she said, have you asked them how they're doing? <laughs> and I went, um, <laughs> uh, well, uh, sort of. And, you know, what came out of it were, were some great conversations afterwards with, with each of them. Um, the conversation I had with my elder daughter was particularly interesting after that. Uh, she and I, uh, she and I have been very close before the, you know, she's, you know, she and I, uh, you know, we probably more, more similar to each other. Um, and, um, and so I asked her, what she, what she was feeling, what she thought. And she told me how, first of all, how frightening the whole thing was. And, and she told me, well, and you, you look different, you act different. And, 
it really brought home to me that, uh, that there is a process, you know, there's a process here that we all have to embrace, uh, that we all have to allow ourselves to go through. Um, you know, she told me that there were some things that, that she'd been, she'd been feeling bad about as a result. And, and this was all news to me. You know, <laughs> it was just like, my God, you know, I, I, I love you so very much. I love you unconditionally. Um, you know, and, and the, the truth is that you have to keep, you have to keep allowing yourselves to feel these things, process them. You know, in some ways our family is still processing this, you know, it's been eight and a half years now. Um, but you know, in so many ways, uh, recovery from just from from anything significant anything traumatic in your life is a lifelong process did you ever get back on your bike and do that route that you had done yes uh for a while um for a while when i still worked in that direction um on my anniversary i would get on my bicycle ride that same route and I would visit, uh, I'd visit the, the fire station the, that, that answered my call. Um, really interesting thing happened on one occasion. I had the opportunity to talk to the guy who had worked on me at the scene. Hmm. You know, big guy, really, you know, taller than me. I'm, I'm pretty tall. This guy, was, this guy was quite a bit taller than me and, and broad, you know. And, I, you know, my wife and I went, went one, one time and... Uh, you know, I, as an intro, I said, you know, so about five years ago, some of the folks in this station answered a call for a bicycle accident over in front of Brasslawn Park. And um, you guys saved my life. And he, and he pauses for a minute and, and he looks at me and he says, you know, when I met you, <laughs> he goes, when I met you, um, I wasn't sure that we'd ever have the opportunity that, that you'd ever be up and around again, that you'd ever talk, that you'd make it. You know, you were conscious at the scene. I asked you your name, and when you responded, um, I made it my business to uh, beat what they call the 777 standard. And that's, you know, seven minutes to the scene, seven minutes to stabilize the patient at the scene, seven minutes to the hospital. And he goes, with you, we beat that time. And uh, what I do know about brain injuries is that time really matters. What I do know about um, subdural hematomas, which is, which is what I had going on, is that they really matter. You know, uh, these folks, uh, through their, uh, through their uh, very uh, prompt, <laughs> very expedient care, saved my life. I've done a I've done a handful of bike rides along the way. I don't I don't ride quite so much anymore. I I, I, I feel apprehensive about riding in traffic. Um, oddly, or maybe not, I feel I, I get nervous riding down hills fast. You know, so I'm not the guy you're gonna you, you'll typically see flying down the hill at about 45 50 miles an hour. But I do make it a point to get on the bike periodically because I I don't want to be defined or limited by what happened to me that day. So you rode your bike to that fire station and met the man that helped save you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm just interested in this whole connection between between your mind and your body, given what your brain has been through, given what you've been through, and that the driving force behind so much of what you've talked about today has been staying hopeful and staying connected to the people in your life and what you have. Um, seems like that gives you a lot of energy. Yeah. Everybody's got that go-to thing. Everybody is. <laughs> Everybody has the thing that they use to, to feed their soul. And, and it's, it's funny, you know, for, for my daughters, it's probably music. And, you know, for the elder daughter, it's probably theater. For, for other people, I know it's reading, sewing. And for us, it's, it's just this stuff. Mm-hmm. And that, that's really what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are some, you know, some of the ways that it, my wife's encouragement, um, she, she gets, she got tired of hearing people complain about, you know, the whole, um, uh, car and bicycle dynamic that goes on. There's a lot, there's, there's a lot of conflict, a lot of, you know, a lot of people point out careless drivers. A lot of people point out cyclists who don't obey traffic signs and regulations, things like that. This is constant back and forth. And Chris said something to me, which really inspired me once she goes, you know, rather than, rather than just complain about it, they ought to, if they feel strong, they ought to do something about it. Well, so one of the things that, at this encouragement, one of the things that I did is um, I got involved with the Cascade Bicycling Club to help advocate for better negligent driving laws. Um, I had the opportunity to testify in front of the Washington State Legislature, uh, legislature uh, several times telling my story. Um, being, able to, being able to make something good come from this um, was was definitely an important part of the healing process. Is, is that the uh, vulnerable users bill that I read about? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And, you know, um, the conversations I, I, I had several conversations with our, our state representatives, state senators and others as well. Um, and the privilege, uh, the, 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 the privilege that I had to be able to tell my story that one one time when I went in front of the, um, I think it was the House Judiciary Committee in Washington State, um, I was the only one there who wasn't talking about a loved one that they had lost hmm. to a negligent driver, you know, uh, and and that was that was really something for me to to really understand um, how it felt how it felt and, and what the impact was and, and, and know that, uh, you know, that, uh, getting punitive on drivers doesn't really address the problem. It's really trying to figure out how we can make this better. So for, you know, for example, what the guy that hit me, he was, he was unemployed. He was, turns out he was uninsured too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really have a need to speak with him again, but, Really, the only thing that I want from this guy is that when he gets behind the wheel of a car, he just thinks about it, and he he doesn't make the same mistake again. And that's really all you can ever you can ever hope for, you know, taking things away from people, uh, sending them to jail in a case like that. This guy made a human mistake, you know. He he saw me in the rearview mirror. He saw me, and he just figured I I can make it. And um, you know, the the police report said that. Uh, judging by my speed and his speed, I had one second 
one second to respond and avoid the accident. And it took me about a second and a half. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, how can you, he made a human mistake and mm -hmm. not sure, not sure what to say about that, but, um, the, the opportunity to really, uh, talk negligent driving laws that, that would build awareness that would, uh, make drivers more attentive, make them more cognizant, more considerate of people sharing the road with them is, is really, uh, it's really important to me. Well, I have, I have loved talking to you. You're incredible. Oh, I, <laughs> um, I, that's very kind of you to say. Thank you for, for spending the time with me. Thank, thank you for the opportunity. The word death evokes all sorts of personal feelings, images, and stories. These stories are amazing, and sharing them connects us more fully to life. I'm Ariane Elfant, and you have been listening to Death the Podcast. Join us for our next episode in this series. This show is produced and engineered by Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Jill Gross. Our theme music, It Happened, is written by David Milling and is performed by David Milling and Charles Milling. To hear more of David's music, go to his website, davidmilling.com. Our social media director is Jolie Robichaud. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher or some other podcast app, if you can take a moment to rate and review us, that helps other people find us. You can find Death the Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or at deaththepodcast.com. Death the Podcast is a production of INO Broadcasting. Labor Day signals the unofficial end of summer, but not the end of your outdoor projects. Lowe's helps you do it right and helps you save with Labor Day deals throughout the store. Shop now and get two bags of Stay Green Potty Mix for $12. And keep your lawn looking neat and trim with a Craftsman 2-Cycle 17-inch gas string trimmer, now $20 off at just $119. Whatever's still on your to-do list this Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 828. Soil offer excludes Alaska and Hawaii, U.S. only.